1: Talk is about
2: to begin. Hey, 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 come on in.
0: Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We just figured out a Buckeye Retalkables that we think we're going to drop the end of this week. That's going to be a little special surprise for everybody. Very timely, as Nathan said. So that's the plan. Probably Friday. Look for a Buckeye Retalkables of some people in the news, if that's a hint at all. We've we've enjoyed doing Buckeye Retalkables in the past. We think this one will be light and fluffy and fun. That probably pushes depth chart podcasts and posts at cleveland.com to next week. So that's what we're expecting for early next week. But this is state of the program, which I think going forward, and I like having things to compare year over year, it makes me wish we had done this before. And I should have thought of this eight years ago because we can compare now our survey results, guys, year over year. If we send the same categories, we can say, well, a year ago, the texters said this about the state of the program. This year, they said this. That'll be very helpful, I think. So this is the inaugural state of the program. And I like it. We keep talking about what's the end of one season and the start of the next. To me, this is the end of this season. And then the depth chart is the start of the next season. So this might be it. We might, I guess we'll throw the talkables in this. We're almost winding down. Stephen. season seven of Buckeye talk, but Nathan, where are you on state of the program? Did you find this to be, because you and Steven and I all have our own ratings. The texters are rating everything also on a scale of one to 10. Is this a valuable exercise?
1: Yeah, and we haven't talked about our ratings yet. These are completely uh, un- um, unknown to each other, and I did not look at the text results, so I, I am going to be curious how what we arrived at here. And I think it was interesting because I went into it as I'm—I I was making my notes and I sort of set up all my categories so I could start doing my my thought process. And I got down to the end because it kind of wraps up with where Ohio State stands in Ten, where it stands in national scene, and when I answered those. I think I came to a different score than what I was thinking as I went category by category. And it kind of gave me a perspective to then go back through everything and, and look at things um, and challenge myself as to what I really thought about some things. So I thought this was a useful exercise. I hope the texters thought so too.
0: Scale of 1 to 10, these are the categories. Rate the state of. That's the state of. So Ohio State's head football coach, Ohio State's offensive assistants, Ohio State's defensive assistants, Ohio State's current offensive player talent, current defensive player talent, the current recruiting efforts, the Ohio State adapting to changes in college football, primarily name, image, and likeness in the transfer portal, Ohio State's current standing in the Big Ten, and Ohio State's current standing in the national scene. Stephen, you and Nathan both sort of like that idea of adding the standing In the national scene. The thing I'm curious about, Stephen, I often we when we do things like this, people say, Well, like, what do you mean? It's like, well, what am I uh, what state of what does that mean? So I don't know. Are you comparing Ohio State to itself? Are you comparing Ohio State to Alabama? Are you comparing Ohio State to like to the very best that this version of Ohio State could be? Yes, yes, yes. It's all those things. It's none of those things. It's the state of the program. It's and someone said. Are you looking backward or or are you looking forward? And I was like, well, I think you're using what happened backward to determine how you feel looking forward. But Steven, do we have to define this or is state of the blank good enough and everybody figures it out for themselves?
2: I think state of the program just gives you a little bit of direction, but how you want to approach it. That direction can vary depending on who you are and what you value here, which I don't even know if that's a real answer or not. I think it's for for me. I'll say for me, it it's how I approach this, and sometimes I found myself being overly critical, and I had to like, you know, go back and reassess some things. But what should Ohio State football be in 2022, and all of these categories that we're going to be discussing? Are they hitting the mark there? And sometimes the mark is it should be a 10. Sometimes the mark is it should, it should be a seven or a five. But are they hitting that mark? And that's gonna, I think that kind of guided the way I graded some of this stuff. I did think comparing Ohio State to itself is very useful
0: and important because I tried to think to myself, well, what's a 10 in this category look like? What would I give a 10 to? And I don't necessarily think it has to be like state of the head coach. Well, Nick Saban's a 10, and everybody else in college football's a 9 at the best, right? I mean, I don't think it has to be that, but I also don't know that it's quite that far off the best. Like, what's a 10? It's like, I don't know. You're the best. What's a 9? You're almost the best. What's an 8? You're very good. What's a 7? You're, you're pretty darn good. But there's a couple of things. You know, like, I think we all can kind of agree. So I think we're all on the – and for the texters, they bring their own version of it enough that it all equals out. And then we just have to explain ourselves and we get yelled at. Let's do the head coach first. I think you start at the top. I think the head coach sets the tone for everything else. I think the head coaching thing is super complex because there's a million things that go into being a head coach. So Nathan Baird rate, the state of Ohio state's head football coach. What was your answer to that? One to 10 again, just so you know, do I have to explain anymore? One is bad. 10 is good. Was there anybody that would get that backwards or am I, but what everybody think? Well, no, one's the best, 10's the worst. I think of it as you want more points. So I do explain it. One's the worst, 10's the best. I hope everybody figured that out.
1: I got you. I'm picking up 10's of this. Okay. All right. What's your rating? I gave Ryan Day an eight. This is one of the ones that I actually maybe had it higher when I did my first quick sketch through. And then the further I thought through, I did pull him down one grade, one number. I, I would say, I think what we've seen over the last month the, the actions that have gone on in relation to the coaching staff are evidence that he prioritizes results over other loyalties sometimes. And, and I mean that in a good way. But they were also evidence that he has made some mistakes in these first couple years, especially choosing a defensive coordinator, that sort of thing. So I think it is fair to say I think eight is a strong score. I think it tells you that I think he has done – pretty much everything he could have done with what he inherited and that he needs to make some corrections on his own. Now which he is doing to keep Ohio state at that same level of achievement.
0: It's a strong eight. Well-argued eight. Steven, what did you give Ryan day?
2: So I gave him a seven and I think that rating is higher than it would have been a year ago if we had done this exercise, because I don't know if that's fair or not, but I mean, he's 34 and four as a head coach, 23 and one in the big 10, you know, he's two and one in bowl games so far. So he's, he's quality, but this offseason, I feel like I've gained a level of respect for him because he did what needed to be done. And he hasn't necessarily, this is the first opportunity he's had the, the chance to do what needed to be done, but he did it. And now it's about, is it going to work or not? But this off season feels very similar to 2016. We just got our butts whipped by Clemson 31 to nothing what is Urban Meyer going to do to make sure that doesn't happen again? This is kind of Ryan Day's moment to do that. And so far he's answering the bell um, and really his first real ad, ad adverse situation as a head coach. Because before then it's like, okay, you lost to Clemson because a couple of things went haywire and fine. You want to use that as motivation. And then last year you reached the national championship game when you probably shouldn't have reached the national championship game. This is the first year where it's like, He's got to prove himself a little bit. And so far, he's checking off boxes. So I'll give him a seven with room so, to grow.
0: So a year ago, you would have given him a six?
2: Yeah. I think I would have given him a six a year ago.
0: Cause a year ago, I would have given him a nine. I think he's lower than he would have been a year ago because a year ago he hadn't lost a regular season game and they just navigated COVID and they played Alabama in the national championship game and they avenged the Clemson loss. And I am not, I do not do this stuff. If I'm trying to rank Ryan Day against Dabo Sweeney, I will acknowledge the fact that Dabo Sweeney has been doing it for more than a decade and Ryan Day has been doing it for three years. I think that's a fair thing to acknowledge. Just when I'm just evaluating Ryan Day against Ryan Day, against what I think Ryan Day should be, I'm not really going to take into consideration how long he's been doing it. So I have him at an eight to me, which is – I don't think at any point he's been a 10 yet because, you know, he hasn't won a national championship. That's no criticism. To me, he was a nine. And then they lost to Michigan and the defensive coordinator thing went kind of south and he had to do all this stuff. So he to me is an eight kind of I don't want to say on the way down, but I would have him a spot a a a point worse than a year ago.
2: Yeah, I, I get your your point, And I'm not mad at either one of your guys' ratings. I, like I said, I was at times overly critical with this. I guess my, for me, it's like, what happens when things go bad? And for the first two, COVID happened, I understand that, but that's a real world problem. That's not a football problem. Everybody had to deal with COVID and he just had, he just so happened to have a talent, a roster talented enough to, you know, to be able to overcome it more than everybody other than the greatest college football coach of all time. So yeah, they reached the national championship game. And then the year before, I mean, that's the most complete Ohio state football team in a decade. So it's almost, i I guess I'm, I'm docking him points for things that necessarily weren't always in control but i have to do that because i want to see what happens when things go bad and then that that will give me a better indication of what he is as a head coach and whether that's fair or not that's the way i'm looking at it
0: nathan you had asked when we were doing this can you do uh 0.5 we said no you can't do 0.5 because you have to do like the textures. you got to pick a number but what do you guess the final average of the texture results are because obviously there's a decimal point involved here what's your guess nathan
1: Oh, I would think maybe somewhere around a. I'll say some of the high set, like 7.75. That there's some who are going to be so disappointed by the way last season ended, um, but some who recognize Ohio State still essentially being among the top handful of programs in the country and giving him credit for overseeing that transition.
0: Steven, what's your guess? 7.4, 8.53. So so anticipating a more critical eye than uh and, and again, this is why I love this stuff, because based on some of the like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he lost. You know, like whatever. Uh, sometimes you would think, well, I wonder, I think it would be lower. The, he only got, there were only five total votes that were a five or worse. It was funny. He got nobody voted him. A a one, a three, a four, or a five. He got five votes for a two, which I found. It's like, what? Everybody's like, he's a two. Suddenly people honed in on that.
1: He got. But they did just have, they did just let four, coach three coaches go. So that might be three. Yeah, those votes. that's true.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Greg Studrawa checking to draw in. <laughs> it's,
1: like, it's like those three guys and a couple players who transferred. Those are the five twos. So uh, more nines than eights, barely.
0: And then well, decent, you know. Certainly a decent number of tens, decent number, given the full thing. So 8.53. So the texters as a whole higher than any of us individually. All right, let's go next to offensive assistant
2: coaches. Steven, what is your number for this? That's a 10. I mean, the offense has been humming every single year. All three years he's been the head coach. I mean, record setting this year, awesome last year and some records were left on the table because they just didn't play enough games and record-setting in 2019 with the run game. The offense has – outside of the hiccup of Tony Alford missing running back recruiting one year, the offense is hummed. So this is the assistant coaches.
0: So all those things you said are stats for the offense. We're talking about the job of the assistants. That's how you're evaluating it. So you're giving the offensive assistants – you're giving Ryan Day a 7 and the offensive assistants a 10. yes. Nathan, what's your rating here?
1: So I actually did go through and give each assistant his own grade. And And then then average it. Averaged those out. That's what Uh, I also
0: did for both offense and defense.
1: Although now I'm realizing for the second time today, I made out a list of assistant coaches at Ohio State for my own purposes and left off Corey Dennis. So I have to do some math again. That's going to affect your math. Let me tell you. Having done that Uh, math myself, that will affect your math. It doesn't change mine that much. I think I'm just going to leave my score as it was because, uh, unfortunately for him, his impact is um, unknown to some extent um, as it comes to, to coaching the quarterbacks.
0: You're going to average together the individual grades of the offensive assistants, but not
1: include Corey Dennis? No, I'm saying I just did it. I just did the math okay. in my head. It doesn't change the score. It doesn't change the, the score in a significant way. Oh, it not changed my score. Um, I, I, when I gave individual scores, I gave Heartline a 10. I gave day Wilson and Alfred nines for their offensive. Per- you
0: can, but you count a day as an offensive assistant.
1: Yeah. So I guess that's why maybe mine wouldn't change as much as yours. Cause he's the offensive coordinator. Yes. He, he
0: I mean, we're talking about the assistant coaches on the staff who, who are offensive
1: assistant coaches. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It still doesn't change. we got to stop. Dude, I'm going to leave it to score. Um, I'm, I'm calling this and then, uh, okay, I gave so. Dennis and I gave Dennis and, and, um, Justin Fry a seven for, for Fry. It's more not a criticism of him in any way. It's more just like, Oh, I have to grade so far as your attendance, you haven't actually done any work. So I'm giving you credit for that. So I gave this a a strong eight, which actually would probably be more just like a normal eight. Now, if you take day out of it, Um, I I think eight is it's, it's a solid offensive performance. Heartline obviously though, kind of brings this up and you've got, uh, and, and it's also partially, again, a little bit weighed down by just not, I don't know how you grade Justin Fry right now.
0: So I did the same thing you did, but I didn't give Corey Dennis a seven. I'll tell you that much. Uh Why? I'm grading because I don't I because I think there are a hundred people who could do a better job as a quarterback's coach than him. Because I'm not grading just on that CJ Stroud played well. Because I think obviously we here, you know, like Ryan Day has a lot to do with that. So I just think you could get many people who would be better. So like I'm not basing it on offensive results that they are first in the nation in scoring. That's not what this is necessarily. It's part of it, results matter, but those guys, those five guys, um I gave them a 7. And if Corey Dennis was elevated, they'd probably have an 8 or a 9. Justin Fryman I is like a changing guy, so like again, I don't know how to judge that, but I think Brian Hartline and and especially and then Kevin Wilson and Tony Alford right now probably do their job at a at a very very high level um but i can't look past the fact that the quarterback's coach in my opinion was not qualified for the job when he got hired and so
1: i have to factor that in so um i like- think i understand what you're saying but it's it it's hard to quantify whether that's been any kind of a detriment to quarterback performance so far and i think he's also had Steven, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. He's been a factor in some of the recruiting wins that they've had as far as quarterbacks. We can talk later about how much you include someone like Quinn Ewers as a positive or a negative in Ohio State's recruiting uh, scores right now. But I, I give him some credit for that. So maybe seven is a little high, but I'm certainly not thinking he only gets like a three or four.
2: Day's reputation gets everybody's attention but Corey Dennis does do a lot of the legwork for it. Whether it was Quinn Ewers, whether it was Kyle McCord, whether it was you know CJ Stroud to a lesser extent, because obviously Mike Ewers was still here at this point and Devin Brown and on down the line here. That's kind of how that works. Like, yes, day, but also Corey Dennis is doing the legwork. And I and I, we all agree, Corey Dennis was not qualified to have this job. But at this point, he has the job. And I think CJ Stroud, to some extent, was a good litmus test on whether this was a complete failure of a hire. And CJ Stroud was the highest trophy finalist. And so if if his job is basically to just not mess up the quarterbacks when they're not the starter so far, he's done that. 10, 10 for offensive assistance then. So 10 for what he's for, what his value is to this staff.
0: Yeah. CJ Stroud got much better as the season progressed. He needed a week off to get his head straight and his shoulder straight and his shoulder Kyle McCord did not look great in the opportunity that he had. They had the number one recruit in the country who showed up early and left right away. Um, Jack Miller transferred, which I mean, I'm not, I'm not holding that against anybody, but like CJ Stroud played really, really, really well. The last half of the year, that is tremendous success and needs to be taken into consideration. Um, I think a lot of people could do it. So, like the idea of like, well, the quarterback didn't derail the entire season. Corey Dennis
1: must be a seven. I can't get there. What do you so. mean? Didn't derail the entire season? Again, he was a Heisman Trophy finalist. He no, I know he was very good. So, what grade? What score from one to ten are you giving him?
0: Two. Because I think many, 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 many people could do it better. Hmm. Because he he had, did not have the experience when he got the job and we think that the head coach is still doing a lot of the lifting there and there were some bumps along the way and Quinn Ewers was here and gone like i understand that quinn ewers was not so a- and difficult but that quinn ewers was here and gone and they lost the number 1 recruit in the country
2: out of that room so and let's ewers- be on it okay and that's you're right they lost him but like, I don't know how much of that was actually in their control in the first place, given how this has actually worked out.
1: And, and how much of it was is a product of CJ Stroud being as good as he was last year? I don't think like, why Corey is Dennis... He, why would Dennis. Yeah, why would he get more? Why would he lose more points for Quinn Ewers leaving than gain more points for CJ Stroud being as good as he was, which contributes to Quinn Ewers leaving?
0: All right. So you guys go ahead, make, go ahead. You can be on the Corey Dennis bandwagon. I'm not going to be on it with you.
2: I'm not, I'm not saying I'm on the Corey Dennis bandwagon, but like you, seven put me on a bandwagon, but. No, it's okay. It's all I right. think he's, he's doing what he's supposed to do. That's and nothing more, nothing less. He's just doing what he's supposed to do. Tens. to across the
0: board for the offensive test. Steven gave the head coach who we actually think is the quarterback's coach a seven But the offensive assistants that includes the quarterback's coach, they're a 10. But Ryan Day is a 7. But the group that Corey Dennis is in is a a 7, is a 10.
2: Okay, regardless of what the perception is of what Ryan Day is, he is the head coach, which means I am going to judge him as a head coach, not on his ability to develop quarterbacks. I'm going to judge him on his ability to be a head coach of a program. Probably knocking Ryan Day
0: down a little bit in his rating for hiring Corey Dennis, who is a 10 because they're all tens. The offensive assistants are tens. Uh, defensive assistants. Nathan, we'll start with you. The defensive assistants, this is obviously harder to get a handle on at Ohio State because they just got yeah. here, but I think we just have to yeah. base this on reputation and resume and what they've done and how much they deserve to be here and the t- decisions that Ryan Day made. This is why we waited to do this, right? We, we waited. Until this offensive staff, excuse me, this this assistant coaching staff took shape, because I thought that you know this was an important one of the the groups that we needed to to determine the state of. So um, that that was a big deal. I forgot to give the overall grade for the offensive assistants. What do you guys think the overall office assistance grade was? By the way, Nathan, um, first,
1: what your guess on that? Oh, I would say um, eight point four.
0: Nailed it. I'm not going to ask you, Steven. That's exactly it. 8.4. That's the first, uh, first exactly right guess we've had. That's a what's the it's lowest 8. vote. They,
2: that it's the office staff got
0: there's a, if you know that someone gave a one, there's a smattering. There were eight votes that were five or less. The Honestly, number <laughs> nine like got, is, is crazier than a, uh, just people. Argument. I think some people just like to mess up surveys. Cause I think yeah. it's funny. Uh, Nine was the most was the heaviest vote yeah. was for nine, eight was second, ten was third. Uh, more tens than sevens, slightly more nines than eights to get to that 8.4 average. All right. Defensive assistance. Nathan, go ahead. Your rating. So, again,
1: judging on who's actually here, I mean, it's it's all three new guys. We don't really have a lot to judge as far as their performance. I still gave this group an eight. I gave Larry Johnson a nine. I don't think he's at like the apex of his powers or his talents that he has had in this business necessarily, but he's still really freaking close to it with the guys he's brought in the last couple of years. I'm giving Jim Knowles a nine based on what he was able to do at Oklahoma State, and and some benefit of the doubt for the reorganization that's kind of happening around him. And then Eliano and Watson, I'm, I'm or um, um, Walton, Walton. I'm calling that uh, sevens. Again, kind of the same before it's a sort of an incomplete um, Eliano, I think. Um, well, both those guys, though, I think come in with some benefit of the doubt that they know what they're doing.
0: And then so I know Parker Fleming is the special teams coach, but like we have to. It's like you, you're doing all your assistant coach ratings, but you're just not including well, the Fleming, guys I, at
1: the so- bottom of the staff. OK, if you want to ju- if you want to question whether Corey Dennis is really that much involved with the quarterbacks, I can Parker Fleming has even less to do. Well,
0: I know, but we call it else. we don't we didn't do a special category for special teams assistance. So I'm we've got to lump him in this. somewhere. Well,
1: no, you don't, because he doesn't really affect either side of the ball. You said offensive assistance and defensive okay. assistance. I gave the defensive assistance an eight. All right, Stephen, I'm, I'm going to play the their team? game. I'm playing our game.
0: Well, my game is d- <laughs> special teams is included with defense when they decide to have oh. a quarterback, a guy who only coached offense, get hired oh. as half defense, half special teams, and then only do special teams.
1: And that's one of the reasons uh, why no. Ryan Day has an eight.
2: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, what's your About rating? A semantic argument. I could, I included the special teams in this because special teams is awful in the rules, Bowl. They they mean they gave up a kicker turn for a touchdown. I gave the defensive coaches a six because. It's, it's brand new. And I don't know anybody. They, I, I got to see them be able to do it here before I give them any type of anything. The only person I'm giving in the benefit of the doubt to is Larry Johnson. And that's because he's got decades and decades of proven ability to do it at this level, that even if the last two years the defensive line struggled to get home, you can still kind of bank that that will change. Everything else is too unknown for me to rank it any higher. So if guys don't have experience, they just get a low number from you. Basically,
0: you like gave right. You said you would have given so. you said you would have given Ryan Day a six last year and you're you have the defensive assistance like you can't factor in that. Jim Knowles has a resume worth evaluating. It only matters what he does at Ohio State.
2: Yeah, because it's the yeah, I'm rating the Ohio State program. It's what you did okay. before is, is fine, but
1: I'll be, I'll be eager to see if that same philosophy applies to the player grades that we do later.
0: Yeah, that's true. Well, the guy hasn't played. I guess he's an incomplete. I actually gave the exact same individual ratings to the defensive assistants. Did you say Larry Johnson was a 10 or was a nine for you, Nathan? I said nine. Okay. Because I gave Larry Johnson a 10, 10, Jim Knowles a nine, Eliano and Walton sevens, and then Parker Fleming lower because, again, they could get a lot of guys to do that job, uh, which averaged out to a seven. So I ended up with seven for both staffs because, yes, the offense is better than the defense, but they just changed the defensive staff and we're going to get to players and the player talent. And so I think I, I can try to judge, obviously results matter, but um, I'm trying to think about like, could other people do that good of a job? How much is the players? How much is the scheme, the way they're coached up, how much is brought to the table? So I wound up with with sevens for both of them sort of based on that idea with a guy on each staff, sort of bringing it down. Steven, what do you think the rating was for the defensive assistant coaches, the overall rating from the texters? Seven, 7.8. Nathan, what do you think? Oh, uh, 7.6. So lower here, 6.5, 6.5, seven, by far the highest, uh, by far the number that got the most votes. Uh, then number then six got the second most votes. Sort of an equal number of votes for five and eight. Not a lot of people above eight, and not a ton of people below five. So six point five. So that's again. I mean, it's it's a little harder when you don't know them firsthand. But um, I think that's reasonable. I'm not I'm not shocked by a six point five, Nathan.
1: No, I think that's fair, and I think it's it's a way of voting that like is sort of a snapshot in time of like, well, here's what the defensive performance was. And you can't give people too much credit for what they haven't done yet. So even if you're optimistic, keeping that score on the lower side, I think is
2: reasonable. But also the defense has had one good season under Ryan day.
1: I
0: do think it's, that's what the person was sort of asked. That's I think it's reasonable that people were asking, like, am I looking back or am I looking forward again? Like the defensive performance wasn't good enough. They changed a lot of the coaches. So you have to evaluate not just on how they were coached last year, right? That you have to believe to yourself. I mean, there's no reason. It might be wrong, but right now, there's no reason to believe that the defensive scheme won't be better. Because before, Kerry Combs had never been a coordinator before. Now, Jim Knowles has a long history as a coordinator, and the defense he coordinated last season was among the best in the nation. So I know he hasn't done it here, but it is not a stretch to think that Jim Knowles will be pretty good at this, right? I I don't I yeah. don't think that's
1: crazy. No, it's sort of like uh, it's a, it, this isn't the better. It's a, it's not a perfect example, but like coming out of 2011 into 2012, and you're asked to give a score. What is the state of Ohio State's head coach position? You wouldn't judge just based on Luke Fickle's interim year. You would judge based on the fact that they've hired Urban Freakin Meyer.
0: Yeah who has two national championships. And I don't know, I guess I'll make some inference that the success he had before will carry over to some degree here. I I do think Eliano and Walton are a little harder, but again, they seem like good hires. So, um, you know, that's why uh, I understand with where I understand where the texters are, but I also think you can have some faith maybe in, in this defensive coaching staff that it'll get better. If, listen, if we would have done this, like, Before they announced the changes, people would have been giving him like a four, right? Or a three or like before Knowles got here. I mean, people would have been like, can I vote zero? Right? That I I don't have faith in this coaching staff because I don't have faith in the way that they've designed and coached this defense. So 6.5 actually is probably pretty good given uh, the way the on-field performance has gone defensively the last couple of years. All right. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, time to talk player talent next on Buckeye Talk. right offensive talent is up next and we uh invite you guys to be part of this again i'll say this we're having a slight bit of trouble it seems with getting the surveys to all of the texters and we really really apologize for that we have not really had issues with the tech subscription since we started it it's been a long time we've been doing this now um, we're working on it. We're uh, in communication with our IT department right now. Um, we, we know that surveys, it's a survey-specific issue because when we send the surveys to the texters, there's a little link that we have to put in so you can click on it to get to the survey. And I think that link is getting caught up for some service providers and that therefore the text is maybe not getting to you. So we're working on that and we really, really apologize. And we want you guys to be part of it. But we know it's not everybody because we get the results of the survey and the results are not zero people. So if you're listening to this and you're like, where's my survey? I'm sorry. We're really sorry. And we're going to get it straightened out as soon as possible. So um, because the more people vote, the better it is for everybody. Because we love hearing what you guys say. All right, Nathan, offensive player talent. To me, this is like guys on the roster. And we can count the incoming freshmen, right? It's like the dudes, the dudes here. And um, where are you offensively, Nathan?
1: I'm calling this a week nine. It's. I don't want to detract too much because of what I would call a pretty low tight end score right now. I just don't think you can ask for much better. There aren't like how many programs in the country would gladly trade places with Ohio State for at quarterback, at running back, and at wide receiver. I think that counts for something. And really offensive line is is set up to be pretty solid for 2022, even though we've talked now on the pod about lingering concerns a little bit in the near future. But I think right now, a week nine, uh, the fact that you're you're very top-heavy at those three positions, and that still counts for a lot.
2: Steven, where are you? Yeah, I'm at a nine-two, and it's solely based on, I mean, they're weak at the one position that gets used the least mm-hmm. for what this offense is, so you're fine with it. If, that's, if you want to tell me every year that tight end is where Ohio State is kind of you know, missing the, dropping the ball a little bit. You'll be like, okay, that's fine. They've got a bunch of really good receivers and really good running backs and a Heisman Trophy level quarterback. So yeah, it's a nine for me as well.
0: Yeah, it's a nine for me as well. And I actually think it's closer to a 10 than it is an eight. Yeah. Because I, so it's like a pretty strong nine because like you said, like other, there's no glaring weakness. I think the six guys they'll put out there on the offensive line for those five spots, I think there's a lot of reason to believe in. Same with the guys that are going to fill in at receiver, a lot of reason to believe in. And you have two elite talent guys at running back and quarterback who are going to be back for year two. And then you do, I think, have some depth at those positions, right? That you do have Evan Pryor at running back and you do have Devin Brown and Kyle McCord at quarterback and you do have, um, you know, enough guys, at least four guys and then Caleb Burton and all these other young receivers as freshmen filling in. I think maybe the depth on the offensive line, if we're getting down to like the seventh and eighth and ninth guys on the offensive line, maybe that's not quite there as much, but that's not going to knock down a, a, an offensive talent grade in a big way for something like this. So I'm not sure why I didn't give it a 10. Nathan, do you think we would have given him a 10 at this time last year with, with, we didn't know Dewan Jones was going to develop the way he did, but thinking like, Thayer Munford, Paris Johnson, Nicholas petit Frere, Harry Miller, um, you know, those guys on the offensive line, plus those three receivers. We didn't know what Jackson Smith and Jigba was going to turn into for sure, but we knew what Olave and Wilson were, and you had reason to believe in Jackson Smith and Jigba. We thought Trevion would pop. You thought they'd figure out quarterback with one of the guys they had here. What does a 10 look like? Because you're going to if you do it in the offseason, if you don't do it during the year, There's a talent transition that there's some uncertainty. Ohio State's never going to return all 11 starters, right? So how can you be an off-season 10 on something like this?
1: I think that's a good question to ask about whether – because I think there was a point at this – during this past season where they were a 10. When they would go out on the field for some of these games and they just couldn't not score, that was a 10. When like Stroud had locked it in and Henderson had was getting a chance and the receivers were all doing what they do, like before they ran into Michigan at the end of the year, like maybe the first half of the Michigan State game, that seemed like a 10. I don't think we would have given him an offseason 10 a year ago this time, though, just because none of those quarterbacks had thrown a pass yet. I think it was it would have been hard to even give just quarterback a 10 last year, not having actually seen those guys do it yet. Um So I I don't know if I would have gone all the way to a 10 just at that position. There was, I think, real question about, like, if they didn't, if if Anderson didn't hit early, like, what would the production have been just with Teague and Williams? So I think there was enough questions. I don't think we would have gotten to a 10. But I think during this past season, at some point, we saw what a 10 looked like.
2: I think if we knew who the starting tight end was going to be, we might give it a 10 this year, but genuinely we don't know because Kate Stover might be a linebacker now. So it's, it's kind of hard a little bit there, but also uh, it it is closer to a 10 than an eight simply because Ohio state outside of Dewan Jones, everybody who's going to be a starter. was like a top one Oh five recruit. Yeah. And even like, even like if G Scott's the starting tight end, literally the only guy who is not a top one Oh five recruit coming out of high school is the guy who ends up being a hidden gem you know, knock it out of a park recruit. I mean, I'm not knocking them down a point. Like if Ruckert was back,
0: would they be a 10? I I wouldn't say that's my thing. I'm not really holding them back because of tight end. I think maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe they should be a 10. It's like if Garrett, if Garrett was back, right. Maybe they'd be a 10, but like, is, is, if there's like, Robin right, well, Harrison
2: and Emeka Buka showed you a
0: Fleming, but they're all talent yeah. wise. Talent-wise, they're what they're supposed to be. They're five-star guys who haven't really had much of a chance to play yet, who are now have their opportunities staring them in the face. And why should we doubt that they won't be really good? I don't – like, here's a – when the quarterback is back, right? Because say CJ is going to the NFL a year from now. Will they be a 10 a year from now? When Jackson Smith and Jigba and Paris Johnson and CJ Stroud are going to the NFL – and they're gonna first year starting quarterback and we'll be like, well, no, they can't be a 10. They're gonna have a new quarterback. We don't know how good he's gonna be. Ah, uh, they're gonna have a new left tackle. I don't know. Right? Like, maybe this is what a 10 looks like.
1: Um, I I suppose I guess if, if you are just grading it relative to Ohio State, you could, I guess, start to make that but, argument.
0: But not, I mean, they have arguably, I'm not saying for sure, but they have arguably the best quarterback in the country. He's in the conversation. Yeah, so have, I was gonna they, say, yeah. They have arguably the best running back in the country. He's in the conversation
2: and they have the best
0: receiver in the country.
2: And, and by like week six, they might have the best left tackle in the country.
0: And they have like a bunch of five stars for the rest of their offensive line. Yeah. I think this is what a 10 looks like in a college off season.
2: Can I change my vote? Yeah. I'm changing my rating. This is a 10. Cause it does. It's not going to get better than this because I don't know if they're I don't know how often they're going to bring back this much when that you, is both experienced and this talented. Yeah. Cause I think you have to take into account that we're doing it in
0: January. Yeah. So that you're, you have to, if you're trying to grade this, you can't say, well, the only way it would be a 10 is if all the starters were back, because that's never going to happen. So you have to account within your 10, you allow for some inexperience. You allow for the fact that Julian Fleming, and Mecca Buka and Marvin Harrison Jr. Have not played that much, but two of those guys were the number one, receiver recruits in their class and the other one is like right there and they're headlined by a guy who's the best receiver in the country nathan you want to change to a 10 too you're hanging on i'm cool with nine okay Uh, do you want to change your week nine to a slightly stronger nine
1: well it's the week (laughs) nine was really all about it depends on how much you want to even talk about tight ends that's what makes it weak and there's nothing else about this offense is weak
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, but to the point, again, it's like, if you're going to be weak somewhere, it's like, Oh, probably there. Right. For this, the way this offense works, that's where you would pick. It's like, where do you want to be uncertain? Be uncertain there. All right. So we'll end up with two tens and a nine. I'm not going to make you guess. This is the, the Texers are a 9.3 and 10 was the most popular vote. It's basically all tens and nines, a smattering of eights and like the person who see now, I think, you know what? A couple of people got it backwards. There are three ones. Those three people got it backwards. I said, did you, mm. did, would you get it backwards? Mm. I have to account there's some, there's some smattering of people who are getting this backwards. Um, Ten to me is the best. Ten is the best. Yeah, you said
2: ra- for ranking. Yeah, that's, right. that's the key word. You said rating instead of ranking. If you said ranking, right. then it would be one. So it's confusing.
0: Maybe. I get it. I'm not making fun of the people who got it backwards. I'm sorry that that happened. I don't know a better way to do it. I mean, this is the, every time you do like a scale of one to 10, but I 10, think you could.
1: I don't know. Next time when we do it, when we put in, does it allow us to put in? Could you put like the in parentheses best next to 10 and parentheses worst next to one? I can't.
0: You know what hmm. we'll do every time we do a rating like this? We'll just go back and forth. Half the time, 10 will be best and half the time one will be best. And then that way, everybody <laughs> will get confusing. it. We'll get it their way.
1: <laughs> Everything will be a five. We're going to do yeah. a 2000 Florida election ballot style.
0: I'm sorry. I, one of the three people who gave the offensive one is screaming right now. I meant to make it a 10. Blame this on Doug. I'll take the blame. I apologize. What are we doing? We are doing defensive talent, right? That's what we're up to. Defensive talent. Steven, we'll start with you. Where are you on defensive talent?
2: Seven. Because a lot of the. It's not because of the inexperience part. It's more of who I think is actually going to play this year isn't all the way yet the five-star top 50 guys at every single spot. That's what, so it has nothing to do with experience. It's more just who I actually think is going to play might not be the most talented guys, but that's just not always how this works yet. I'm also a seven
0: and I think you can think of it and you think like, well, I don't know. They sort of pubs like, well, listen, JT and, and Jack Sawyer are going to play a lot. Zach Harrison is back. That's three five-star defensive ends. If you think CJ Hicks is going to work in at linebacker to some degree, if you think Ja'Kalen Johnson and Jordan Hancock are going to jump up and get a lot of snaps at corner with Denzel Burke, that's some pretty good talent at corner. There's reason to believe in that. Um, if you think Josh Proctor is going to come back healthy at safety, okay. We've seen that Josh Proctor's is a pretty good player. They missed him last year. There's still some questions maybe at the rest of linebacker, but you can see it start to piece together. I almost thought about going a, a, like a little bit higher. Now that I've elevated, like when I had the offense as a nine, I was like, well, the defense can't be an eight. But if the offense is a 10, maybe the defense could be an eight. But I also gave it a seven. Nathan, what uh, what'd you give the defense, Nathan?
1: This was my lowest score. I gave them a six. I think the, the defensive line, I have a lot of confidence in. Um, I have a little less confidence in the secondary. And then I think linebacker is just a, a position that absolutely needs to upgrade for 2022 and I don't know that uh, as good as I think CJ hicks is going to be I don't know from day one that he's going to come in and, and like solve the position even if he's productive it doesn't mean he's necessarily solving the position um and I think there are still there are also some players like jG to Maloal like Denzel Burke who did very very promising things as a freshman um, but aren't quite as Steven was kind of alluding to, I don't, they, they haven't quite hit the, the full measure of their talent yet. So I actually, I, I gave it a six, but I also think it's the one group, one question, the one thing we're rating that has the most room for growth. And maybe even by the end of April, maybe even by this spring, we start to see either the way Jim Knowles is aligning things or the things that we see or hear during the spring that start to tell us like, no, like what you thought were questions, they have the answers to those and things will be better this fall. But it, it's just hard for me to go too much higher than that, also, because defense in just crucial ways the last two years is what held them back.
2: I'm going to do a Chase Young thing with CJ Hicks real quick. Chase Young's ceiling in 2017, Chase Young's ceiling was clearly higher than Jalen Holmes's was, right? You could see that from day one. But like Chase Young wasn't the best version of himself in 2017 because he's 18, while Jalen Holmes was the best version of himself because he's a senior at that point. Even if we all knew down the line who was actually going to be the better player. That's what's on the table here with C.J. Hicks and then some of these older linebackers like Steel Chambers is a better linebacker than college football linebacker than C.J. Hicks right now, just because he's older. And is going to play more and has more experience. It doesn't mean that CJ Hicks is going to be a better linebacker down the line. And that's what you have to kind of rate in this situation is what they are right now. When you're talking, when you're trying, especially when you're trying to project some of these five-star freshmen that we think might have a role. And you can do the same thing with Jack Sawyer and JT, even though they are in year two. And Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock, we all think they have really high ceilings, but you have to rate them for what they are right now. And that's still people who are very raw and coming into the development.
1: I agree with that, but I think you and you also have to accurately rate people like Zach Harrison or um, other linebackers or even someone like Josh Proctor, who was trending in like a good way, but is now coming off a big injury. And like, um, you know, accurately rating someone like Ronnie Hickman, who is very productive for this defense, but was he like relative to the rest of college football? how great was he? That kind of thing. I think all those things kind of play into what is the ceiling for this defense. And I still think this is a, a group that has to, again, has more room to grow into a better score. But I think, I, I don't know. I, I feel like six is a pretty reasonable grade for where the actual talent is. That's definitely going to play in 2022 or that we think is going to play in 2022.
0: Yeah, it's hard. I, I do think Nathan, is this a higher grade, then you would have given the defensive talent, not a year ago, but like at the end of this season, like what would you grade the defensive talent that did play in 2021? And I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but no, no, no. Yeah. I think it's similar. Okay. Cause I think, I I think I I feel
1: in a similar way.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're losing Haskell Garrett. You're losing Tyreek Smith. Right. You're losing seven banks. Cam Brown is back. You know, like that's, I do, but I I think it's trending upward. So I think I would give, I think my seven comes with an expectation that more JT Tumaloa, more Jack Sawyer. Here comes Jordan Hancock and Kalen Johnson, at least one of them. Mm -hmm. You know, some dose of CJ Hicks, Steel Chambers has another year at the position. Josh Proctor gets healthy. I think there's some upgrades there that I think my seven is higher than I might've been at a five at the end of the season that just ended like their defensive talent, of person of the personnel that played. And so I think it's trending in the right direction. So, but I know but I'm not disagreeing with the six. I mean, I know what you're saying and, and there's, I mean, you, and you could do this. You could say, well, I looked at the 15 guys that I think are going to play the most snaps and I gave them all a grade. And then I average them together, just like we were doing the assistant coaches. You know, I think you could do that, and it probably would come in around six or seven, because I think they're going to be putting some guys on the field who, when it comes from like a talent perspective against the best teams in the country, against what the Ohio State standard is, they still, I think, are playing a couple f- fours and fives, a couple places. And some of the sevens and eights and nines are really young, Nathan. And you're not sure even how much they're going to play. Kind of what what Stephen was saying of, all right, well, what's C.J. Hicks' talent? All right, well, I guess his talent is probably a 10, but he's never played. And how much is he going to play, I don't know. You can't just drop C.J. Hicks and be like, ah, he's a 10 at linebacker. Because you don't even know if he's going to be first in linebacker snaps or sixth.
1: Yeah, I I think someone like he mentioned Steel Chambers before, Stephen did. And I think that's someone I think could be better this year, this coming season, than he was this past year. I thought he did positive things. I think someone like Cody Simon could be better in 2022. Now he's got his shoulder cleaned up. Maybe he can have a fully healthy season. But uh, that's still uh, assuming things that have not come to fruition yet. And I know that I understand the, the points that you made before about like, well, if like if every five-star who comes through has uh, achieves a certain level of performance, shouldn't you sort of assume that and I, I, I kind of agree with that, but there are also still a lot of positions on this field where they're not asking. You know, you mentioned someone like Cam Brown before, who I think could be a very um, dependable and productive guy for Ohio State next season. But I don't know that I ever expect him to be one of the best cornerbacks in the country. And so then it becomes what standard of Ohio State are you still measuring this against?
0: Steven, what's your guess on what the Texters gave their overall rating for the defensive player talent
2: 6.7 Nathan let's say more
0: like a 6.1 6.5 6.5 which is basically the exact same thing as the defensive coaches so the defense is like a 6.5 right now in the view of the texters and like our average is like a 6.5 <laughs> so we gave the defensive assistants an eight, a seven, and a six. We gave the defensive talent a seven, a seven, and a six. So we're kind of right in the same range uh, with the textures on this. All right, Steven, let's do recruiting efforts. I think this is like plan of attack. This is mostly results based. You know, if they had just finished off the number one class in the country, I guess they'd probably be a
2: 10. Uh, what did you give the recruiting, Steven? I gave it a, a high eight. Borderlining on nine and I'm open to changing that depending on how this discussion goes. I think the plan and the approach works as long as people actually do the plan and actually stick to it. Some of these coaches, especially in the past before they made these new hires were better at it than others. I think obviously you've got the Brian Hartline, the Tony Alford's Larry Johnson's of the world who just bring it all the time. They've had 72 commits. Um, in days three, four classes now from 2020 to now this 2023 class of so 72 commits, 12 of them have been five stars, 30 of them have been the top 100 recruits. And obviously, I think anybody can do the math on where the bulk of that top 105 stars are coming from what positions are coming from. So um, I think the guys who have really done their job well do a lot more to pull this group up to the high eight, low nine than the guys who weren't doing their job well do to pull it down.
0: Yeah, I think Pantone's a 10, probably right, Mark Pantone, in terms of like running the structure, the planning, the strategy, the early talent evaluation, the film watching that helps them decide who they're going to get it on. um, They almost helped sort of design the idea of like the recruiting strategy and plan of attack. Heartline's a 10. Larry Johnson's a 10. Kerry Combs was a 10. You know, I think they have a lot of. I think Ryan Day is a pretty darn good recruiter as a head coach. So um, they do have a lot of high level people associated with this. I also gave them an eight for kind of the same reasons that it's hard. It's like, well, if you're the best class in the country, you're a ten, and they're really close to a nine, probably. But they also just had like a couple misses, right? The left tackle misses. You know the the fact that they're I mean, scoot short, maybe at linebacker right now. Um, holds them back a tiny bit. I I could be persuaded probably to bump it to a nine if somebody wanted to make a really strong case, but I ended up at an eight. Nathan, where are you?
1: So you were talking before about what qualifies as a 10. And I think the, the example you threw out was like, well, maybe Nick Saban would be the only one who can get a 10, or maybe you have to have won a national championship in order to be able to get a 10 as a head coach. And I think that changes from category to category. I don't think you have to have had the number one class in the recent time to, to qualify for a 10 here. Like if Minnesota had put together like three top 12 classes in a row, you'd probably give Minnesota recruiting a 10 for that. Cause when have they ever been that good? That's like as, as good as they could possibly ever do. But, and so Ohio state 2021 was second, but they were practically tied with Alabama in the star rating. This is going by the, the two, four, seven rankings. And that was with Alabama having 27 commits compared to Ohio state's 23 commits. It's why I, I absolutely hate like the overall, recruiting ranking I think it's a usually a pretty borderline like almost useless statistic and in 2022 they were fourth but they had a higher average star rating than the number three team Georgia and again they only had 21 commits next to 28 for Texas A&M 24 for Bama 27 for Georgia so the right there I mean I, I don't know what else some of this becomes just a a bit of a technicality as to who is the number one team and who is not but I still won't give Ohio State a 10 here I, because of the things you guys have mentioned that there have been enough positional misses that have held the team back, especially on defense. And then ones you still see coming in the future, that seem almost like an inevitable collision with the offensive lineman that we've, we've talked about now a couple of times, I'm still calling this a nine. I, and, and that is again, taking into consideration that there have definitely been some failings. However, Some of what we saw in the field the last couple of years was also three, four years behind. I wouldn't call that, when you stated it, current recruiting efforts. I'm really looking at maybe a more narrow window. I think some of the defensive shortcomings you saw these last couple of years were failings of 2017, 2018, and I'm not really counting those as much when I'm grading the current recruiting efforts.
0: That's the defensive talent and offensive talent. The talent is the result of the previous recruiting. This is how they are actively recruiting right now. And I do think we have to take into account they're a northern school. So how much better they are at some inherent geographic disadvantage here. And they overcome it so much that I think you can – Take it for granted to some degree, but nobody else in the North is bringing in talent like this. It's not close. So I said I was open. I'm changing to a nine. Nathan, you switched me to a nine because, again, I think it's right. It's like in this in particular, if you want to call it grading on a curve or whatever, but for most of the other stuff, there's no reason that Ohio State shouldn't be the best in the country, right? Have the best coaches, have the best assistants, have the best head coach, have the best whatever. But when it comes to recruiting, they shouldn't be the best because the best players are not in their backyard. So they have to go do more.
2: So I'll I'll bump it to a nine. I will bump it to a nine. The The 2021 class was magnum opus level recruiting for Ohio State. You locked down the top 100 recruits in your own state. Jack Sawyer committed early, and then you went out and just got a bunch of other five stars. And you that, that at, on signing day, whether it was the early signing period, the late signing period, or when JT decided to come along, or when Quinn decided to reclassify, this was one of the five greatest recruiting classes of all time. A northern school did that, and they're in a conversation with... You know Miami, Florida, Bama's 2021, basically a bunch of SEC and ACC Southern schools. And the Northern school did that. That's the best you can ask for from Ohio State. The problem is we cover this team. And so we know the context with a lot of this stuff. If we didn't cover Ohio State and we were just like going through a bunch of state of the programs and we looked at these numbers, we'd have been like, oh, yeah, Ohio State's recruiting efforts are 10. But because we know the context of some of the yeah buts, of why they're not as good of the, you didn't get Xavier Wampa. You know, you didn't get J.C. Latham. You didn't get Zion Prince. Whatever the reasons why you didn't get them, because we know that extra step of this, that's what brings it down to an eight or a nine. So so let me ask, Stephen, the rating for the texters is,
0: is a 7.9. Eight was the most popular. Yeah. Man, some of these people got this backwards. <laughs> the nine, nine was next. Was There are more nines than sevens. Not that many tens, not that many tens. There's not that many people got it backwards. 7.9. Does that seem low? And is it because the people who were voting follow Ohio State recruiting very closely and they know every single time they did not quite get a guy? And so you're more critical because you know it so well.
2: Yeah, that's what it is. It is low. But when you know more... You're a little bit more critical. And I was I was interested to see what they would vote here. I thought it'd be a little lower than what we would put it because of that, because they're not thinking about, oh, we got JT and we got Jack because we have Larry Johnson. We're supposed to get JT and Jack. They're not thinking about, oh, we got a bunch of top 100 wide receivers. Well, Brian Hartland does it all the time. They're thinking more about Greg Shadrawa's misses. They're thinking about Jordan Battle flipping to Alabama. You know, they're thinking about that type of they're thinking about Clark Phillips flipping the Utah and then him, you know, coming back to bite you in the butt in the Rose Bowl on multiple occasions. They, there is a part as a fan. Sometimes it feels like you think more about the things you lost and the things you gained, especially when you're Ohio State. And often you have to now face those things that you lost.
1: And I, I would understand if there are people listening to this who think that we are being we're trying to, to have both sides of this because I a lot of the conversation that we had around signing day was around some of the things that they didn't address in this class. And, you know, whether a top five class could be, could receive an A grade or whatever. I can't remember exactly how we put it, but like, and, and we were all kind of unanimous that like, no, like you can say that like no matter what the talent was here, you left yourself enough openings. But I think it's important in this the way i thought about it today in this context was ohio state recruits so well that there's never really a question that they're going to be in the playoff conversation at the end of the season which they were again this year they just they, if they hadn't lost the last game of the regular season they would have gone like there's no question they're going to be at that level it's all questions about are you recruiting so well and filling every single spot that there's no question you'll win a national championship and i think that does, that's why, to me, it still deserves a nine, even though recognizing those gaps, because and the other thing is recruiting is fluid. What you missed one day, you can fill down the line.
0: And I do think, again, we're not evaluating necessarily like this class, this recruiting class. The fact that two classes ago in 2021, they had about as good of a class a school like Ohio State could ever have, I think factors into this was- you know, was this most recent class a nine, almost a 10? No, maybe not. Right. Maybe, maybe honestly, the most recent class was like an 8.5, but the class before was like a 9.5 or a 9.8. So then if you're going to average that together, I'm okay with it. Winding up at nine again, 7.9 for the texters. Uh, We'll take a quick break. We're going to come back and do three more things. Ohio state handling the changing landscape in college football. What's the state of them doing that? And then they're standing in the Big Ten and they're standing nationally. We're doing state of the program on Buckeye Talk. 614-350-3315 if you want to be a texter and uh, take part in stuff like this. Again, and I'm sure there are people saying, I do pay that. I didn't get to take part. I, it stinks. I'm sorry. I, I, we, we, I'm not like being like, oh, sorry. It's like, we really are sorry. We're We're frustrated by it too. And our IT people are on it and we're going to get it figured out. I promise we'll get it figured out. All right, let's do the changes, Nathan. Write the state of Ohio State adapting to the changes in college football, primarily name, image, and likeness and the transfer portal. You are, you've are you been reporting on this, right? And I think you're the most qualified of us to sort of speak to this. And we've spent a lot of time talking about Ohio State's strategy in the portal. And, and we were doing, uh, Shahan and I on the College Football Survivor Show that is out on Wednesday. We talked about Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State—the three playoff regulars that missed the playoff in 2021—how likely is it that they get back in 2022? And one of the things in like checking on Clemson, for instance, like Clemson is not active in the port in the portal yet, very very little, right? That a lot of Clemson is sort of like they hire in house, they don't do the portal, they they promote their guys from within. It's sort of their strategy. But also I would think there's a lot going right with Clemson right now. And frankly, I think Clemson probably is going to be pretty good next year if they get the quarterback straightened out and they have like a five-star true freshman that can come in and maybe be their Caleb Williams if DJ doesn't figure it out. They did lose their coordinators. But I think, Nathan, Clemson might score kind of low on something like this. And I don't know all the nitty-gritty of Clemson, but I think the perception is, is Dabo adjusting with the times as quickly as some other people are. So how do we think Ohio State, Ryan Day, Gene Smith, the program, how are they adjusting with the times and keeping up with all the
1: changes? Well, I do think it's important to remember that while it seems like July 1st of last year was a long time ago, it, it wasn't, it was like six months ago, a lot has changed as far as the landscape of college football just in the past six months when we were sitting in the, the uh the, whichever arena that was, uh, having that um, press conference with Gene Smith and uh, um, the the senator from Ohio um, who started the bill. I mean, like a lot has, has gone on. And I think – so I kind of factored that into my – this is like the closest thing to like an incomplete, but I wasn't going to cop out and give that. I, I'm calling this an eight. I think Ohio State has used the transfer portal with precision – And to great effect, I think Ohio State has done things with its infrastructure to give players the tools to pursue NIL and and benefit from that. The big money thing that we're seeing now, and that's kind of what I've been trying to do reporting on, and um, I think I've promised that in the text, and something's coming. It's just been a matter of um, a lot of other stuff has gotten in the way the last week. But that's still a gray area, but it's something Ohio State needs to make an impact with eventually. The things that you're seeing now, I, I, I don't know what's fact or fiction between some of the numbers you see at Texas A&M, but we're seeing other examples of it at, at schools where there's clearly significant money that has affected the recruiting dynamic. And I don't think Ohio State needs to wade neck deep into the filthiest aspects of that, but there has to be something within the greater infrastructure of the program that accounts for that. So that's still the thing out there that because this is also new, I don't criticize them too much because there isn't some message board report that says their recruits are getting 20 to $30 million the way that there is at Texas A&M. I think Ohio State is doing a lot of the things it needs to do and is relatively progressive in college football and really even within the Big Ten and has the um, financial wherewithal and the, the people in charge who are progressive enough to take advantage of those things. Stephen, what'd you give
2: them? Yeah, I gave them a nine. I think I agree with Nathan, first and foremost. They've done everything they can within NIL. A lot of the stuff that they haven't done isn't necessarily in their control anyway. That's on alumni and outside resources that are coming into play for why Texas and Texas and and all these other schools are doing what they're doing. So the, to that extent, they're doing fine. The transfer portal part, they're only missed so far I mean, I think there might be an argument that with with EA, had they found out that he was eligible to play in June instead of the Thursday before they play like, their first game, that, or well, their second game, because I don't think, I think Ryan Day like announced that during like a Zoom call Thursday before the Oregon game. Had they found that out earlier in the season, maybe they would have been more prepared to have him on the field instead of it being kind of in limbo for most of the offseason until basically... 24 hours before you're about to play Oregon. So I'll give them a pass on that one. But every other time they've used the portal, they've struck gold. And if you, even if you want to question the why they didn't go after Elias, Rick's thing harder, fine, you can, fine, whatever. But the point of the matter is they've used the transfer portal with precision and been really smart when they've decided to go in there and they've usually struck gold.
1: I want to say something real quick too that I, I had sort of factored into my decision. I don't think we can completely overlook the dissatisfaction that we saw from a certain segment of the roster this past year, the incident with Kayvon Pope, the uh, what happened with Marcus Williamson, I think that accounts for something. I don't necessarily think it means that Ohio State is blowing it, but we hadn't really seen that until this year. And I don't know if if the changing landscape of college football plays into that in some way, that the that staff, from how it manages relationships, I'm not – I didn't crater the grade because of that, but it was in my mind as I was giving a grade or a rating.
2: I, I think I think if the players who would have done that were first or second year players, I would agree with you more. But those were fourth year and fifth year players who were from a different coaching regime who were at this point in their careers frustrated that things hadn't gone their certain way. And I'm not putting that more on the player. I'm just saying that if anybody was going to be frustrated with how their playing time and how their careers have gone, it's going to be older guys, especially when you have a coaching change like this.
1: But Marcus Williamson was a starter. Like he wasn't a guy that got he was ditched. So that's what I'm saying. Like it's why it was just in my mind.
0: So how did you guys factor how the Quinn Ewers situation resolved into any of this? Because do we believe that like name, image and likeness is sort of the fuel for why Quinn Ewers went down the way it did?
1: I think it's the fuel for, as I said, why he was at Ohio State early to begin with. It was the only reason he was at Ohio State early. It was the only reason he was at Ohio State early.
2: I think he might I, be the only like, reason he was ever at Ohio State, let alone yeah, when, he, when he showed up. Well, he committed to Ohio State before all the name image
0: and like this. Right. Stuff, he did. You know? But
2: like, as we talked about when he eventually transferred, it's almost as if he just flipped to Texas, given the fact that he was technically supposed to be a 2022 guy.
0: And say, say that like they just had Quinn Ewers had never been on their radar. Right. That it was just like, we're just not doing that. Whatever. He's a great player. Yeah, we're not. He's from Texas. We're not going to get him. Would Drew Aller be at Ohio State, Stephen? If Quinn Ewers had never crossed Ohio State's recruiting radar.
2: Very likely, because I think, one, you don't stop talking to that kid to go chase the generate the, the potentially generational talent. And so you just keep building that relationship and he's probably here. And so, then he just becomes a pleasant surprise who's rising up the rankings.
0: So I'm not, I'm not going to act like not getting Drew Rowler's the end of Ohio State. It's not. They're fine. Yeah. Devin Brown's good. They'll be fine. C.J. Stroud's really good. They have Kyle McCord. It'll be fine. The NIL thing, like Quinn Muir is almost so far as like the prime example, almost nationally, of like how name, image, and likeness can side of, kind of screw stuff up. And Ohio State was like left with the short end of the stick there. So I factored that in. Like the, I'm not saying it's their fault. I'm not like saying they, that they screwed it up. I'm not saying it's the end of the program. I'm saying in the category of adjusting to change, that was a big change. And the result was a guy who was the number one recruit in the country was here and gone before you even knew it. So that affected it. And I do think it's like causing some frustration in Ohio State right now. I don't know that anybody in the country is a 10. Now, maybe, like, Sark would be like, man, we're a 10. We got Quinn Newers in the transfer portal. We got boosters lined up from here to Wattiscotchy to, to, to give this, this guy an NIL deal. Like, we're a 10. Um, I think it's hard. I think it's weird. I think it's hard to be a 10. I think all the things you're talking about, Nathan, is like they're figuring it out. Maybe they'll get higher, but I gave him a 7 for now. I didn't give him, like, a 4. But, uh, like – Yes, they've been targeted and smart with the transfer stuff. Um, you know, like, but even, even Justin was like pre-portal, right? So they haven't, and like, the guy, Jonah Jackson was a grad transfer. So, and like, they didn't get Henry To'o when they wanted him in the portal. They didn't get
1: Man, him. and they could have used him.
0: And like, they got Trey Severn, but like, they haven't in the portal, right? Now I'm thinking, who else have they got? Like an actual portal guy, because like Fields and... Jonah Jackson are sort of pre this version of the portal, so they've gotten Trey Sermon, Ruggles, but like they even they haven't gotten a Jamison Williams level guy yet. That if you said, "Hey Bama, how are you navigating the changes?" It's Like we got our most dynamic offensive player and like our third best defensive player in the portal, and they turned into instantaneous impact guys. Pretty good. Like I don't know that Ohio State's had it. Not that they should, but that they haven't yet. So that's why I gave them. That's why I gave them a seven because I think they're fine, but I don't know that they are like completely like using it to their advantage. Maybe some of the way some other schools would claim to so far.
1: I I do think that's fair. It, that's a tricky one sometimes because it's like, well, we didn't have to go to the portal to fix problems as much as other teams because we didn't have as many problems. No, I agree. Many holes yeah. left in recruiting, But there have been other cases like with linebacker where they did need to do that and didn't it didn't quite work out the question also about – you make an astute observation about we seem to be in an era right now where instead of the programs and the institution of the NCAA and whatever else, the conferences being in charge of everything and them being the ones that are pulling the strings and orchestrating, that now things are happening to them. Like the the power dynamic has shifted a little bit. And I think Quinn Ewers is a good example of where Ohio State was the one that got – um, where the, the tail wag the dog a little bit. And I so I did kind of factor that in with my eight to be like, how state's not in a bad spot, but it needs to make sure that those sorts of things don't repeat themselves. There, that, that specific situation obviously is a little bit unique and weird, yeah. but they, they can't get in a situation where they lose control, whether that's losing control to money and boosters and things like that, whether that's losing – control and kind of what your identity is to chase something else. I don't think that's really a, a, a factor or it's something to, to, to be feared, but it's definitely something I was thinking of. I think you put it more eloquently.
2: Yeah. I guess I just wasn't really docking them for Quinn at all. Cause it's like, everybody should like, regardless of where he was going to school, everybody's got to learn from the Quinn Ewers thing. You know, it's just Ohio state happened to be the part of the, part of the story there, but that was going to be a learning experience because he's the only example of that. Like he wasn't the only person who reclassified for NIL stuff from that 2022 class Rutgers had their quarterback do it. And he's not off going somewhere else right now. It's just Quinn was so but it's like Quinn's situation was such a rare thing that it's almost like, Hey, everybody come learn from this. You can't just dock Ohio state because they just so happened to be the people who, who got burned from it.
0: But it happened to Ohio state. So, like, no, like, we can't dock Ohio State because it could have happened to anybody, but it did happen to them. Now, if you want to say, well, they just got Devin Brown, who's the sixth best quarterback in the class. The overall effect is negligible. It's not like they wound up with a two-star quarterback replacing Quinn Ewers. They just got
1: another guy, and they moved on. But it did happen to them. Go ahead, Nathan. I think if, as we said before, though, like, if Quinn Ewers had never reclassified, I think he still would have decommitted. I just don't – I think – there was some inevitability to how that whole thing played out when you look at it in the rear view and the crazy quarterback stuff has been going on for a while now, like NIL didn't start that obviously, you know, our our dearly now retired uh, Tathan Martell was committed to Washington and Texas A&M before he ever committed to Ohio state and then went on a a vagabond journey throughout his college career. I mean,
0: yeah, but it didn't happen to Ohio state. It happened to other people and Ohio state wound up with the guy. This is like oh, this is said, yeah. this is not how it usually happens to Ohio State. That it's like Ohio State's like, well, this stuff's crazy. And then we had a guy and then we lost. him. Usually it's like all kinds of crazy stuff happens, even like, you know, with Dewan Mathis or Emery Jones. It's like they're kind of in charge of stuff. It's like they picked Justin Fields and those guys left. Right. Tate Martell wound up leaving. But Ohio State had Justin Fields. They were fine. You know, like they don't they don't usually. And, and I think they were probably fine in the end with Quinn Ewers leaving the way it all worked out because they believed in CJ and they have Kyle McCord here. Again, it's not devastating, but it did happen to them. It didn't happen to team X. It happened to them. And it was weird and it was unusual. So again, not the end of the world 6.8 from the texters in navigating the change, which again, that's a hard thing for like a tech subscriber. It's Like what am I voting on? Is it one or 10? And I'm voting on the state of Ohio state handling the changes And the tornado of the college football, what am I? Can I just vote on whether I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is good? So that's a hard one to vote for. 6.8 from the Texters. Let's do this. This is placing them in their landscapes. Let's do Big Ten first. The state of Ohio State in the Big Ten. And I did try to explain this one slightly more in the question. This is what I said. Rate the state of Ohio State's current standing in the Big Ten. Includes whether the league is good enough, too good, and helping or hurting Ohio State in the playoff race. So some of this is out of their control because I think there might have been a, well, maybe it wouldn't have affected it. There might have been a world in the past where like Ohio State and the State and the Big Ten when the Big Ten was down, where it's like, well, Ohio State's a 10, but then because the Big Ten's down nationally, Ohio State might've been a five. You know, I think it's, it's complicated. It's not exactly a thing like rating coaches, but I do think, Nathan, that I, I, I factored in a little bit of like, all right, well, Losing to Michigan, not good, but Michigan being good is good in its own way, right? So hard, difficult, up for vast interpretation, I think. But Ohio State, its place in the Big Ten landscape, what is the state of that?
1: So this was sort of the question that helped crystallize how I was going to vote on everything else in a lot of ways, this one and, and the next one. But to me, this is still a 10. The standard in the Big Ten is whether or not you beat Ohio State. Whether or not you win the championship and deprive Ohio State of the championship that people sort of assume going into each year is Ohio State's to win. The standard in 2022 is whether Michigan or someone else can keep Ohio State down two years in a row. And until that happens, I don't think one game really knocks Ohio State off of this throne that it has within the conference. And the Big Ten itself was so good last year that if Ohio State hadn't lost the Oregon game, that outcome of the Michigan game might not have kept them out of the playoff. They might have still been the fourth team getting into the playoff last year. So that's a good position to be in, I think, if you're Ohio State, that you think that the the conference is right now in this snapshot that strong. So it depends on which snapshot do you want to emphasize, like the strength of the conference as a whole and Ohio State's, I think, still national – esteem as being the, the team that's atop that or um, the one loss that, that they finally suffered that knocked them out. I still think that it's hard for a big Ohio State to, I know they just lost. I know they didn't win the Big Ten Championship last year, but several years in a row, four years in a row before that, they were the champions. They are still considered the the, the shining example from this conference. I think it's a 10.
0: I agree with basically everything you just said, and it's also a 10 for me which again, some people like they, just, they didn't win the Big Ten. They didn't beat their rival. That might sound crazy. The conference is getting stronger. It's pretty clearly the second best conference, and Ohio State is absolutely the best program in it. And from a program standpoint, I mean, I think Michigan was the better team last season, but Ohio State is by far the better program to the point that like Harbaugh might leave because it's like, well, I've done, I've done everything I can do here. Farewell. I beat Ohio State once. And like, that's their benchmark. That's a good way. Like Ohio State's the benchmark for everybody else. And so I think when you're the benchmark in a lousy conference, then it's like, okay, well, I'll do the benchmark. But like, even like Clemson, right? I mean, it's like how to interpret that. It's like Wake Forest is like, we, we stayed within three touchdowns of Clemson. But but like, this is a good conference, I think, right now. Like Wisconsin's a good, healthy program. Michigan's a good, healthy program. Michigan State's getting its stuff together. Iowa, you know, Iowa was a number two in the country for a little bit. Penn State, I think, is going to get it stuff together, right? I mean, Indiana had a moment briefly. Maryland might be improving, right? I, I, Northwestern, you know, I, and Ohio State's the standard. So it does not change. I think they've been a 10 for a long time, but they have not yet lost that 10 status, Nathan, just because they lost to Michigan. So I agree with that. Nathan, uh, excuse me. Stephen, where are you? Yep,
2: 10 a season like this needs to happen like two or three years in a row before you even start questioning that this can be easily looked at as a blip. And because to the point of it's a really good conference, but Michigan still had to beat Ohio state to make the playoff. And that's how it's going to be. Penn state will have to beat Ohio state and then obviously do some other things to make the playoff, but that's how this is going to go this year. Just Ohio State had a down year and it opened the door for somebody else to do exactly what they need to do in order to make the playoff.
0: 8.5 from the texters nine, the number one answer, more tens than eights, but a smattering of lower scores. You know, I I think, so again, for the texters and I, I give a lot of credit here. I think there are a lot of people who are agreeing with our reasoning and then, you know, you lost to Michigan. So how can it be a 10? That's a completely reasonable thing to say. It's like, ah, normally they'd be a 10, but I'm like at a nine or an eight because they didn't even make the big 10 championship game and they lost to the rival. So I think that's a, that's a, I think we're in agreement on the big picture stuff though there. All right. Last one, Write The state of Ohio state's current standing in the national scene. How can com- this is how I tried to describe this, how competitive and respected Ohio state is nationally compared to other points in its history, because I do think this is a little more about comparing Ohio state to itself than comparing Ohio state to Alabama. Cause there are just enough different things. It's like, let's compare Ohio State to the heights of the Woody era. Let's compare Ohio State to the heights of the urban era or the, the Jim Trestle era or the best that they ever were because they're not Alabama and they're not USC and they're not Texas. Those are, those schools can all compare themselves to themselves. Stephen, where are you for Ohio State's state on the national scene?
2: Is this allowed to be a to? For sure. Um, well, I, I have it at a nine, but I think I'm, I might end up convincing myself that it's a 10. They're in the playoff discussion every single year. I mean, they're, they're as good as they are as, they, as they've been at any other point where they were in the, in the conversation to be a national championship contender, whether it's the Urban era, the Tresor era, the Woody era. They're in the same position right now. You know, they're going to come into next season as one of the favorites to win a national title. Their best players are going to come into the season in contention to be among the best players at their position in the country. They're recruiting at a high level. Nothing. The train didn't stop. It just had a little hiccup. And so like no, no perception hasn't changed for Ohio State on a national landscape. Maybe if we it's change a little bit more for Clemson a little bit than then Ohio state. I still think it's, if you say who the top five programs in college football, Ohio state's name easily rolls off your tongue, And that's all that matters right now. I think that makes sense. Um, Nathan,
1: where are you? I think I looked at it pretty similar to Steven. I mean, it's it playoff and national championship game appearance back to back. And then you're right there with a chance to go um, and just lose a tough game to a good team on the road. Uh, They're going to be the top three team to open the 2022 season, most likely. It's still the biggest TV draw in the sport. They're still making, from everywhere we can see, I think, the necessary financial commitments – um, at least in terms of uh, facilities, and uh, certainly assistant coaches, that 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 coaching pool, it might be the highest in the country this year if it if it keeps trending in this direction. Um, you've got a Heisman Trophy finalist every year. I mean, all the all the boxes as far as just prestige within the sport are there, except you're just getting farther and farther away from that last national championship. And the last time you were in the national championship game, you got pretty well waxed. So I'm going to call it a nine but i don't think calling it a 10 i think you could make that argument that, that really relative to you're in such a small click of truly like special programs that calling it a 10 is is plausible for me i'm still calling it a 9 because i think that the national championship means something and they they've won it and they uh, multiple times in recent history and they're they're close often but I think they need another one to push back to a 10.
0: So I'm at an eight, but you guys are maybe making me think I'm a little low. I do think maybe I thought of a 10 as like, well, you're the national champ. Like who would be a 10 right now? I think Georgia and Bama are tens right now because Bama's Bama and they didn't win it, but they, they're the best program. Everybody knows that. And Georgia just won and it wasn't a fluke and, it, and they had a great team. Um, so then if I think, well, if you're not coming off, like, like what, what does a 10 look like at Ohio state? If the 2014 season had just finished, they'd be a 10. That's what a 10 looks like to me. They just won a national championship and like they've got everybody back and people think they might repeat. So if I think you're not that, then are you a nine? All right. They're very, very possibly a nine. But I do think the idea that they are in the midst of like a pretty big revamp on one side of the ball because they had a side of the ball that wasn't good enough pushes me towards an eight with them that it's like they do something exceptionally well, as good as anybody in the country, the way they play offense. But everybody kind of knows the defense wasn't good enough. And now they just hired three new coaches to try to fix that and brought in a new coordinator for $1.9 million a year. A little bit to me is like, if you're hiring, if you're having to like outbid the rest of the world for the Oklahoma state defensive coordinator, like I don't, like, are you a nine or a 10? It's like, well, we got to fix this. Like, there's a little hole in the roof. So it's that kind of thing that, that knocked it to an eight to me. And I also think some part of it as they are the best that a Northern team can be. But as the power continues to consolidate in the South in college football, it's becoming more and more and more of a Southern-centric sport with the expansion of the SEC and with all the discussion about the expanded playoff and how Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, seems to be running the show and that everybody's afraid of the SEC. And like Ohio State's like the number one team like standing up to that, that has the ability to stand up to that. But man, the more it becomes all about the SEC, the harder it is, I think, for anybody outside the SEC to be a 10. So Ohio State has as good a chance as anybody but I'm actually going to stick with my eight, and and I'm okay with that. Should I be factoring in stuff like SEC power into this conversation, or is that something Ohio State can't do anything about? Because I would say, like for instance, in with Woody, it was, I, I don't think that was true that that wasn't where the power was consolidated. And Ohio State, Michigan was as big as anything going, and I don't know that that's true right now for the average college football fan.
2: I think the inter- I agree with the the sentiment there that a 10 you're coming off a national title but I do think Georgia is more of a nine who is on a high so they get to be a 10 just like with Ohio State when they won a national title they were a nine who got to come off they're on a high so for the next nine months they get to be a 10 until the season starts I think Ohio State and especially now Georgia's won a national title they've both won a national title in the playoff era and they both played in in at least two national championship games. So they're the same program. It's just Georgia's national title is a little bit more recent. So they get to act like they're a 10. I think there is only one 10 in college football right now. And it has nothing to do with mm. what the sec is doing to bring all these teams into the conference and what Greg Sankey's trying to, you know, it has nothing to do with that. It's just Alabama's a 10 because every other year they won a national championship and everybody else who is in that it's, and then like out in Ohio state, Clemson, Georgia, a Texas t- program who's got it together, a USC program that's got it together. Those programs are just nines that whenever they win a title, they get to act like a 10 for a couple of months until the, until we restart in, in September. And that's, yeah, that's part of why I made them a nine.
1: I think there's other categories here where you're just comparing Ohio State to itself. That's obviously not possible here, though. And I think that there is some truth to that, that like what Alabama is doing right now although you could almost then say, well, maybe you just take Alabama off the board and now judge everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> relative Because this yeah. is what, what they're doing right now and are, are expected to do again next year and for the next five years and next however long is a little bit unprecedented, obviously. So um, I, I still think – I think we've all given good scores here that are all reasonable, and I'm curious what the texters gave.
0: So if I, if I stay at my eight, that's an 8.7 average from us. The texters are an 8.2. Nine, the most popular answer. Eight, almost as popular. Not many tens. Not many tens, honestly. Like a, hand, like a little more than a handful of tens. So I do think that's interesting because I do think people are saying, well, that, what's a ten? A ten's a national title. So if I was doing this right now, I, I think you could make the argument, let's say that Bama's the ten. And let's say that Georgia is like either a nine or a 10. I think Clemson would be a nine even after their year because of what they've done previously, that they've been right there with Bama and they had a down year, but I think they're still a nine. And it's like, well, who would be ahead of Ohio state? Are you saying that there's only three teams in the country that are a nine or a 10? What are we talking about? Cause Oklahoma just got decimated Oklahoma. My gosh, we don't know what Oklahoma's going to be. I could hear that argument. Like if Ohio state's, like you're saying, Doug, like you put Ohio State fourth right now, but a fourth is fourth is an eight. That that might be a little weird
1: because I think I would put Ohio State fourth right now. I think it, it, to me, I, I felt myself reaching back to the tiers that we did, and we. Should, I get are we going to redo those this this summer? Is there going to be an oh, every offseason sure. thing? Yeah, um, because you know when we talked about Alabama and Clemson at the time, were kind of on their own tier. Ohio State was almost on its own tier alone below that. And so now I I kind of feel like Clemson maybe has fallen down to Ohio State's tier. Like, would you put them together at two? And then it's just a question of whether Georgia belongs on the same tier as them or if they're at the top of the next tier. But yeah, I think it's 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 something like that, which is why when I looked at it that way, it was hard for me to call it lower than a nine because there really isn't much more when you're looking at, when you're giving it kind of a broad view a couple years either side and you also have to think about when i think about where is ohio state's national standing right now too i'm looking at 2023 i'm thinking ahead of what th- is coming for ohio state most likely yeah. in 2023 if things go the way that yeah. they they should
2: i do uh, obviously we'll get into this when we actually do that pop but i do think just a, a shorthand bama is of the here by itself and then on that next year or georgia ohio state and clemson but like georgia and ohio state are like 2a and 2b while clemson's just clearly just like number four in that conversation because if you if there's any thought of this of okay what does this national title do for georgia and their program going forward and how kirby smart because he's like having a ball right now on the recruiting trail and how they're doing stuff and so if that's the case and then Ohio State just ends up in a space where they're still on the tier by themselves, but Georgia just replaces Clemson in that top tier. Then maybe they're not. Okay. Then that's a different discussion. But I do think that just for right now, Georgia and Ohio State are just equal, which is a good place to be Like if the only team above you is Alabama. Uh, But I I
0: definitely, I would not put
2: Clemson behind Clemson.
0: Clemson has made before the last year, I mean, Clemson had made, uh, 4 out of 5 national title games. Clemson's made yeah. 4 national title games and they Clemson lost one more game than Ohio State this year. So like I, did. I don't I don't and think they, they also them.
2: lost and both of them They've sports. lost a yeah, it's not even they lost a lot of the stuff for why the last decade happened for them. Yeah.
0: But let's let that happen. Let's see that effect. Yeah. Because that's as, as we talked about, I mean, the, the, Chad Morris was like the highest paid offensive coordinator in college football and Early in the Dabo era, it's like it's Chad Morris making all this magic happen. And Chad Morris is now back coaching Texas high school football after failing as the head coach at Arkansas and then being the Auburn offensive coordinator. And Dabo Sweeney is still being Dabo. So uh, he's lost great coordinators before and carried on. But I think we have to remember, you know, we had a world where uh, Clemson had played in four national title games in in five years. So uh, but point taken that Ohio State is still a top four program. And that certainly they're in better shape than Oklahoma right now, which had its whole program wiped out from under it and is completely resetting. and then nobody else has risen yet, right? LSU wants to do that. Notre Dame wants to do that. USC wants to do that. Florida wants to do that. Florida State wants to do that. All these programs are trying to get up to Ohio State. And they're all starting over with new coaches trying to do it. Ryan Day is sliding along, getting ready to hit year four. All right, Nathan, I found that instructive. Did that help us? Did that help our listeners? state of the program?
1: I think it did. It, it, it definitely helped me. And I think gave me a good perspective going into the off season, because like I said, when I did, when I gave that 10 and that nine, it, it kind of reset how I was looking at everything else. and maybe gave me a uh, not convinced me to not be overly critical, to be a little bit more realistic in what I was looking at with Ohio state. And now hopefully I'll apply that to how I'm thinking about how this team comes together between now and August.
0: So I will attempt to keep this somewhere, (laughs) write this down in a file. I guess I could either write it on a Post-it note. Should I put it on a Post-it note or should I put it on a computer? Probably a computer, right, in the Google machine. Stephen, I think this will be interesting over time to come back in a year. I again. I wish we had it. I wish we had this from right after the 2014 season, what we thought the state of the program was in all these different areas and how Ohio state could compare to it. Now. Um, I think it's like anything, you have to establish a baseline and then you can tell which way a program's going. So for our own sake here on Buckeye talk, at least we established a baseline, I think, with the state of the program stuff and now we can use it going forward.
2: Yeah. I'm wondering just given when we're starting to do this and this very interesting offseason in the Ryan day tenure, if there might be some drastic movement in some of our ratings a year from now, depending on how some things go, like if they win a national title, then obviously, yeah, we're going to be, there's going to be a lot of tens across the board in a lot of places, but I mean, what if they don't, what if, you know, what if they go 10 and two again? Right. You know, the people's, you know, eights and nines where you were maybe given some time for optimism. Do they turn into fives and sixes because now you're a little worried about your program? So I think this was a good place to start it in and kind of crossroads season for a head coach early in his tenure and how did things go from here.
0: All right. Thanks to everybody who participated. Again, sorry for those who uh, weren't able to do the survey. We'll get that figured out. Retalkables is the plan for Friday. Depth chart two pods one offense one defense is the plan for next week we will keep you posted 614-350-3315 if you want to be part of the text subscription for now for steven means and nathan baird i'm Doug and that was buckeye talk